Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. I like to think of myself as someone who is well-versed in accepting change, especially change that is unwelcome, which feel like a lot of change tends to be. I've been thinking a lot about change lately. I looked up the definition as I was pondering this introduction. Change. To make different in some particular. To give a different position, course, or direction to. To replace with another. To undergo a modification of. To make radically different. Since March, the world has changed. The way we socialize has changed. The way we teach and create has changed. The way we work, love, plan, shop, travel, and uh, podcast has changed. This is my 52nd episode of Perceived Value, and it was created in a radically different way than the 51st episodes before it. This episode has been a challenge to create for many reasons. Mainly, I'm stubborn, and I have never wanted to record remotely. In fact, it has been my policy to not record interviews remotely. I fear that remote recording will not only lessen the quality of my sound, because I think it does, but also affect that certain something that happens when two individuals sit down together, face to face, and have an intimate, uninterrupted conversation. My fear of these changes has left me somewhat paralyzed these past three months. Change is hard, and I feel it can be especially daunting for one studio practice. I don't love the sound quality of this interview, but I adore the guest, and I greatly value the conversation. I made more edits to the single recording than I've probably done to the entirety of my perceived value episodes, but that is nothing you will notice. Mostly just removing long pauses and awkward moments because, you know, the Wi-Fi connection is not the best in my bedroom. Ugh. I'm really proud of myself for releasing this episode because I had to push through some serious mental blocks to make it happen. It feels like that moment when you don't know how to finish a piece you've labored over for far too long and then somehow it just clicks. I hope you all are handling the changes within your personal and work lives with as much grace and necessary productivity as possible. And if not so much, that's okay too. It might take a few months to adjust or accept the current changes in our lives, but it's gonna happen eventually. Today's episode, I'm so excited. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Halstead. Halstead's mission is to help small jewelry businesses be successful. They are proud to be a small family-owned business. Halstead believes in the power of entrepreneurship and improving the lives of families and their communities. They are a resource for makers and focus on small business development. Their blog has a large archive of articles, including technique tutorials, business advice, marketing, photography, and more to help jewelers grow their businesses. And yours truly was just featured on one discussing jewelry residencies. I highly recommend that one. This is not the first time I've mentioned Halstead on the podcast. Hillary Halstead herself was a guest. And one of my first episodes was with Emily Schaefer, and we discussed her experience applying for the Halstead Grant. Ah, the Halstead Grant was created as a business development program for emerging artists. The application process is a thorough business planning experience. This year, I am very honored to be the guest grant judge. The application deadline was August 1st, and the 2020 winner and finalist will be announced in September. So yeah, you might have missed out on this year's opportunity, but you have a whole year to begin working on your grant application, which honestly, it's never too soon to start working on that thing. Thank you to Halstead for being a perceived value sponsor, and not only that, your continued support of the work I am doing. If you, listener, want to show your support of the podcast, become our patron. Every time I release an episode, you get charged whatever amount you have pledged, and no amount is too small. Might be a little annoying to have a 25 cent charge every month, but hey, live your life. Visit patreon.com slash perceived value to start supporting today. The link is in the description of the podcast. In the coming episodes of the podcast, I will be interviewing individuals who are putting the work in for change. The kind of change we need now more than ever. The kind of change that might take years and decades to see come to fruition. Today's guest is someone I met through my craft school experience years ago, and over the past few months I have watched as a collective he helped create has received exponential support amidst the racial justice movement currently taking place in America and subsequently throughout the world. Crafting the Future is a collective of artists concerned about the lack of racial and ethnic diversity in the fields of craft, art, and design. It was formed in order to change these communities. And with the current momentum Crafting the Future has, I believe that is absolutely what they, we, will do. His very new, very official title is Executive Director, which I'm sure is gonna take a moment to get used to. That along with being the voice of this rapidly growing organization. Corey Pemberton is one of the kindest, most approachable people I cross paths with during my time at Penland. And I am very excited to see him taking on this role and to have him on the podcast to share how Crafting the Future came to be and what is to come for this important collective effort. Corey's pronouns are he, him, his, and I don't think I've ever clarified that mine are she, her, hers. So please welcome today's guest, the executive director of Crafting the Future, Corey Pemberton. Okay, thank you. 
I won't be talking about you in third person while I'm interviewing you. Um, okay, Corey. So how's LA? Is it very hot? You're in LA, right? I am in LA. Yeah, I moved here uh, from North Carolina about uh, a year and a couple months ago. It was last June. And it is... You know, actually, it's a little bit gloomy out today, but generally speaking, weather is perfect. Mm. It's one of the big perks of being here. I love it so much. What area in L.A. are you in? Uh, I'm actually living sort of on the north end of South Central Los Angeles, like in the Crenshaw District. And uh, I mean, for for people who speak the L.A. vernacular, I'm just south of the (laughs) 10. Just south. The, I mean, I don't speak the LA vernacular, but I do have multiple close friends out there. I go there fairly regularly, but yeah, still no, that goes over my head. Yeah, I hate myself for even um, having said that. Did, near USC, south of the town. That's what I tell people. <laughs> oh, near USC. Okay, so the last time I was there, we went to the Rose Garden, and we went to the space museum with the giant spaceship inside of it. You know what I'm talking oh, nice. about? Yeah, that's just like. Uh, yeah, it's. I remember it was right me. next to USC campus. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I kind of know the area you're in. Um, did you move yeah. out there when you finished the core fellowship? Was that directly after that? Uh, yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, right after the core fellowship, I uh, did a residency in Kinston, North Carolina, for um, what was that? About three months. And then following Mm -hmm. that residency, I I, I drove out here, packed up my trailer, everything I owned and did the the cross country drive. So yeah, it was pretty much right after, right after Penland. So for listeners, for everybody who does not know, I've known Corey, um, Corey, I met you, I met you the first year of my fellowship, of course. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And I think you were a student or were you a work study? Like what? I can't remember how we first met. I was a work study. And actually, really? for some reason in my memory, we were, had you been to Penland before your fellowship? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I was okay. a work study. For some reason, yeah, hmm. in my memory, we were maybe like work study together, in fact. And then you got core the next year. Cause we spent like a couple, we had a couple summers where we overlapped, um, but I definitely remember being there as a yeah. work study when you were doing the core fellowship for sure. And that's sort of when we started to, to kick it. <laughs> to bond. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Corey, I miss you. I was telling the story about you um, in my bedroom. I have your wobblet. Remember your wobblets? Yes, of course. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. So you took that. Oh, <laughs> I remember. Um, so it was why I was a core fellow. You took a glass class. I think it was with Kenny mm-hmm. Peeper. I don't know. It was like a goblet class. And you yeah, started you bending right. them over. and cr- Yeah, the wobblet. And I remember buying one, which was a big deal for me because, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> like you're so broke as a core fellow that like if it was 45, 65, I remember somewhere around there, but I bought one because I just loved it so much. Um, oh, and then I quickly I proceeded to knock another one off your table with my butt and shattered it (laughs) (laughs) yes i I do i do vaguely recall that now that you mentioned it 
that's hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, those cups man, were I was that like, was actually that that came about uh, accidentally. I remember I was in that class and I uh, made all of these goblets, and I think the annealer, the oven that we cool them down in, was set too high, and they all fl- just slumped over. <laughs> and I, I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is beautiful!" And then I started doing it on purpose because everybody was like, "I want one! I want one!" <laughs> yeah i hold like random gemstones in it it's like my random gemstone catcher i'm like oh, put a rhinestone in it i love that oh my gosh you just just with you with you mentioning that like all of these memories just started flooding back and i mean i don't know what Aww. kind of things we can talk about on this pod but <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about we, whatever we, we want on this pod <laughs> you we had some ratchet times together <laughs> Oh, we did. I do have like these very fond memories of like sitting outside the glass studio because I would go up there a lot at night um, because typically it's the warmest place on campus when it's cold. But just like sitting on the picnic tables and having drinks with you and like catching just talking. I don't know. You're just what you're one of my favorite Penland people. You really are. Thanks. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm specifically thinking back now to this one uh, epic Penland dance party on the Pines Portico, <laughs> where <laughs> I remember uh, having a great time hanging out with you and Miss Shannon Moon that night, and even my brother and his his now wife were there too. I remember. Anyway, oh yeah, mm-hmm. Arlie. God, they yeah. lived the pretty life. What the hell? They're like, we're gonna move to Hawaii, and then have this beautiful baby. Damn. Yeah. Ser- seriously, I look every day and I think about unfollowing them. <laughs> Like, You're like much, I don't need perfection. <laughs> I don't need this daily reminder of how amazing your life is. Thanks. Yeah, no, I do that. Exactly. I've been doing that a lot in quarantine, just unfollowing so many people. Cause like, <laughs> damn, life is hard. Oh. I don't need to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's rough in these streets right now. <clears throat> it's rough in these streets. So, okay, remind me. So I finished the core fellowship and I went to Aramont for the residency. So I still came back to Penland a lot because I was still dating a core fellow, but you weren't in his year. You came the next year after that. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And mm-hmm. I, I was still living in the area. So um, even when you were coming back after you'd finished your fellowship, I was around. So I yeah. moved to Penland in, or the Penland area, let's say, in what, maybe 20. 20- 14 something like that mm-hmm. 20, that makes 20, sense late 20 late 2013 and was working for different artists in the area um mostly glass blowers um, living in spruce pine which you know i don't know in hindsight i'm like why i can't believe i did that <laughs> lived in spruce pine for years i can't uh, believe you i can't believe anybody lives in spruce pine yeah yeah right it's kind of incredible but um, yeah, so I did that life for a few years, living that spruce pine life, uh, working for all the different glass blowers, and then it was um, a mutual friend of ours, actually, Mr. David Chat, that convinced me that I needed to uh, go for that core fellowship. That it would, it was the next step that I needed to take in my life, and so I applied, and mm-hmm. uh, didn't get it the first time around. It uh, wasn't until that second time that I applied that I was actually accepted. So applied that first time, didn't get it, you know, spent another year just blowing glass and doing craft fairs, that sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, Core Fellowship was 
Oh gosh, I'm bad at years, but uh, it was, <laughs> you know, ju just, just over a year ago that I left and it's a two-year program. So, <clears throat> yeah. And I like, you know, it's very common, especially with the core fellowship that you apply a few times before you get in. Like I know my mentor applied three times. I know somebody applied six times, then finally got in. Um, yeah. So it's definitely yeah, one it's, of those things where you try. It's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. And it's very competitive. So, I mean, for anybody who might be listening and thinking about applying, it's like, yeah, you got to apply and apply again sometimes because it's, there's a lot of great applicants these days. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons why it, it doesn't necessarily come down to like whether or not you're deserving. It could be literally that they just have too many glass blowers in the house or they want to diversify the type of people that are in the house. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And come to a lot of things. So Corey and I have been, had our fair share of craft school experiences um, Corey, so I didn't give that much insight to you. I mean, the topic at hand today is crafting the future, and I'm really excited to talk about that with you. Um, but I do like to give a little bit more insight to my guests, just so they have an understanding of, you know, where you're coming from and how you get to be doing the things that you're doing. Um, can we give some insight? Like you, where did you go to undergrad at? Yeah, sure. Uh, I went to undergrad at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, when I when I went there, I thought I was going to study graphic design and illustration because, I mean, I, I was always into art growing up. And I think that there was some sort of lie that was fed to me early on that, like, that's how you make money as an artist, just <laughs> go into graphic design and illustration. Uh, and so that's the path that I wanted to pursue there at VCU. And um <clears throat> It wasn't until maybe halfway through my foundations year that I uh, decided that I wanted to pursue craft and try and get into the craft and material studies program there. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when I, it wasn't until sophomore year that I started taking classes in glass blowing and ceramics and metal smithing and woodworking and all that sort of stuff. Ooh, who'd you take metal smithing with? Oh my God, you're going to have to cut this out because I can't remember her name. I'm so terrible. But, <laughs> no, uh-uh, uh Corey, you got to stop that. Uh, I didn't. Uh, my general rules, I hit record and we just go. <laughs> oh my God. No, edit that out. Uh, anyway, Susie Gotch was and still is the head of the department there. <laughs> um, I had never been, you know, when I was at Penland and places like that, you hear a lot about VCU. It has quite the reputation, um, especially Susie. Oh my gosh, her reputation is like... I met her and I was like, finally. Um, and I went down there and I got to see it. Richmond yeah, was a cool she, town. Did you like living there? Oh my gosh, I love Richmond. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not from Richmond, but all of my dad's family is. And um, mm -hmm. I guess you could call me a legacy. My Both of my parents went to BCU <laughs> and so did my brother and my sister. And Whoa. Um, yeah, so I have a long standing relationship with Richmond. I have tons of family there tons of friends. I love it. I love it so much. I, I think about moving back there sometimes, but I'm pretty happy yeah. here for, for the time being. <laughs> so when you're like a quote unquote legacy, does that mean you get any kind of discount? Because you know, because you've had so many family members <laughs> uh, go. 
<laughs> you would think so, right? I wish. Uh, honestly, oh. I don't even know if that's an appropriate term to apply to myself because I'm the only one that actually graduated. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, my mom graduated uh, college. She she transferred somewhere else, but everybody else, else. Uh, there were hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I dropped out of college twice, and look at me living my life. <laughs> look at you now. Look at you now. Look at with your look fancy microphone. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Um, uh, did you pay for your own college? Like, did you pay for your own undergrad? I did not. I was very fortunate um, to have my parents pay for my college, and Aww. the I almost I, I had to pay for. Uh, so the deal that I worked out with my parents was that I paid for classes that I failed. <laughs> which um, was actually quite a few. (laughs) Oh my God. That is kind of an amazing deal. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And the the other part of that deal was that uh, for the, in order for them to cover the cost of school, I had to graduate in four years. And so I busted my ass to do that. And, you know, since I was failing these classes, I meant like taking summer school and all this other stuff. But I ended up doing it, made the cut, and my parents uh, ended up covering that cost, which I'm so, so, so grateful for. And good on them for creating these parameters, man. Like, I kind of love it. I haven't heard anybody else talk to me about that. Yeah, they they weren't kidding because my brother and sister are both paying off their student loans to this day. (laughs) Oh, really? Was it like if you didn't finish in four years, then you had to pay for all of it? Or did you just have to pay for whatever came after the four years? All of it. They were were not going to pay your loans (laughs) unless you graduated in four years. Holy shit. Yeah, my brother is still paying his off. And this is like, I don't know... uh, 15 years later my sister i think just finished paying hers off so congratulations sis <laughs> mm, hell yeah good job sis yeah uh-huh well yeah, i kind of want to get your dad on the podcast like he's kind of my hero <laughs> right now <laughs> <laughs> right he's definitely a badass in his own right for sure oh um okay so then what did you do after you graduated vcu you graduated in four years obviously good on you mm-hmm I did, I did. And after I graduated, I um, I moved to middle of nowhere, Missouri to work for a glassblower. And I'll actually, I should back mm. up a little bit and say that while I was at VCU, I was going to Penland during the summers between, between mm. years. So like between sophomore and junior year, I think was the first time I went to Penland. And I took a class with Sam Stang. It was a glassblowing class. And uh, that was sort of the first time that I realized mm-hmm. that not that I could pursue a life in this, but that it was the first time I had a an example in front of me of a person who blew glass every day and made a living from it and was willing to go over, you know, how yeah. one might do that with me and all the other students. And I guess I... Um, did a pretty good job in that class because he ended up offering me a job. And so that's the person that I went to work for after college. So he he hit me up a few months after the class and said, you know, as soon as you're done with school, you should just come out here. And that's what I did. Moved to middle of nowhere, Missouri, Augusta, Missouri. It's about an hour outside of St. Louis, tiny town of like 400 people. (laughs) And why uh, does that sound familiar? Is there a college there? 
no there's definitely not a college there it's wine country if you've ever been to st louis and had people in st louis who thought that they were Mm. fancy and went on uh like little wine retreats they would go to augusta and drink sweet terrible wine oh okay (laughs) woof that's hilarious Uh, yeah yeah there was wine i kind of love that you moved to the middle of nowhere yeah, right. And then there was mm-hmm. this glass blowing studio, which was it was very cool actually. It was in an old um uh what do you call it? Auto garage, like a uh auto shop. Oh, okay. That was converted into a glass blowing studio and Sam um he collects like old signs and uh mm-hmm. sort of like auto memorabilia. So all that stuff was all over the walls and it's just a very soulful little shop. Um and then, you know, it's in this tiny town of 400 people in a very conservative area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, my black ass moves to town and Sam's wife is Japanese. And so he was this little old Jewish man. And he'll hate if he listens to this, that I described him that way. But <laughs> this is just to say that, like, they, we, we were kind of mixing well. it up in Augusta. <laughs> we were the talk of the town. <laughs> yeah well the minute you said that i was like oh okay that like yeah as a black man moving to like small town missouri shit i wouldn't even want to move to small town missouri and some more cards you know culturally i think it's a really that area is very difficult to navigate oh yeah Um, you're preaching to the choir i mean people ask me often was uh was it difficult to live in Penland or, you know, rural Western North Carolina in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, um, race and was I always feeling comfortable, yada, yada, yada. And I still think that Missouri was far more difficult. Uh, I, I, I never really experienced like outward racism or homophobia, like directed at me in, in North Carolina. You know, everybody there has this facade of, southern hospitality and they want to they don't talk about you till you leave the room but in missouri they'll tell you mm. to your face <laughs> yeah Ugh. it was pretty terrible at times so then how long did you stick it out there because did you enjoy working for sam like was that experience good or worth it oh absolutely i mean yeah if you if we were talking about this like while i was there i I was having a hard time because he was um, difficult to work for at times. He was very particular mm. and he um, expected a lot from, from me and from all of his assistants. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. just because he, he really cared. And uh, I think honestly, he and his wife, Kai, they sort of treated their assistants like children in a way. And they, they mm-hmm. wanted them young and inexperienced and they wanted to sort of bring them up to you know work with their values their core values and their techniques and all that sort of stuff and and so i I really in hindsight i'm really grateful for that experience and i learned so much like way more in the two years to answer your question i was there for two years and the two Mm -hmm. years i was there learned way more technically than i did in the four years of art school for sure yeah I mean, it's kind of amazing like that when you do get those jobs and they do really push you. Um, 
because it's every day working and getting paid. I mean, I worked for a blacksmith and I remembered I screwed something up. I made these belts for her and I screwed them up and I had to take some unpaid time to fix my mistakes. And then you do not make those mistakes again. Um, yeah. You really grow. All right. Mm-hmm. So you're in Missouri. Why did you leave that job? Um, let's see. Why did I leave that job? Well, honestly, I think, I think the terms, like the length of that job was laid out before I even started it. So like I said, Sam, Sam and Kai enjoy this sort of like turning over of the new assistants and bringing people up. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they're, they actually, whether they would admit it or not, um, part of their practice is, um, creating more more glassblowers in the world, you know, taking green people, yeah. providing them with opportunities, a working opportunity, and then releasing them into the world. Um, I guess another, like a darker approach that you could <laughs> take to looking at it is that maybe that they just didn't want to have to pay anybody more than $12 an hour. So once, <laughs> once you got good enough that you were worth more, they would let you go and bring somebody else in who was more green. <laughs> yeah well that's a thing too and that's fair to talk about yeah 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 um but anyways it was you know i think explicitly stated when i started that it would only be a a two-year gig and so towards the end of that i was thinking about what i would do next Mm -hmm. and um i actually went oh god my brain is terrible but i can't remember if it was the summer before i left Missouri or if it was right after but I went to to Denmark for three months and worked for a glass blower oh there. that's right you got all those Denmark connections yeah that's right yeah and um mm-hmm. I mean unrelated but we were we were talking about our our dear friend Rachel Kettinger before we hit record here her and I have that connection too so we actually went to Denmark together oh. last year which was so fun but um, anyways, yeah, I spent three months in Denmark blowing glass. I know. I saw all the pictures and heard all the stories. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun. But uh, I thought maybe I would want to relocate there. But at the very least, I just wanted that experience. Mm-hmm. And so I did this sort of unpaid internship. They call it practicum over there, where I worked for these glass blowers in Abletoft for three months. And after that, I came back. Okay, it's coming back to me. I came back and I... I worked for Sam for a few more months. <laughs> and then I had set up um, a job with John Getsy in North Carolina. And so I cool. went, moved, that's when I moved to Penland yeah. and started working with John and, and his wife, Courtney, who, you know, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Love them. Love their little house. Cute mm-hmm. little family. Good Lord. Yeah. They're great. I miss them and they've got a perfect little setup over there. But yeah, they're the type of couple that I would see and just be like, damn, how do you do that? Like fall in love with somebody and then build like a house and a family and like studio practices and like your perfect compound kind of life. Like it's pretty incredible. Oh, totally. And every time I go mm-hmm. back and visit, there's they've added something. They've either, either added an addition to the house or a new tree fort for their kids or uh, a new kiln in the pottery shed or whatever it is. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Also, where do you find that energy? Like, I don't even have a pet and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm a single gal. I have nothing to take care of but myself, and I'm still just hanging on by a thread. And they're like, oh, and now we're going to redo our kitchen. 
while we have a toddler. Like, what? Yeah, and everything in it is going to be handmade from the countertops to the pottery rack and all the pottery on it. (laughs) I know. They're pretty pretty life. Pretty amazing. Um, (laughs) So this is, okay, so then we're like up to speed around the time that you and I meet because you're living in the Penland area. Um, Mm -hmm. And I moved them from Seattle and I'm like, oh my God, there's nowhere to eat out past 9.30 p.m. Woof. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah and even at 9 30 p.m what are your options like uh western sizzler or hefts <laughs> oh my god i ate at hefts so much they have really good wings though you know yeah you got to give them that the wings were bomb <laughs> wing night and you'd walk in there and you would see like 15 people you knew so that was also yeah. a thing it was, it was our cheers <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um so you know and on the podcast i speak a lot of the craft school experience because it's really a big part of my identity as an artist um and i'm sure you can relate to that especially penland area um and something that i've been candid about or not afraid to discuss is that damn penland is white and most craft schools i go to are just majority just white people um mm-hmm. would you agree Corey? <laughs> yeah you... yeah absolutely i mean yeah. i agree with all of that you can't deny it both both yeah. the, the craft school experience can be totally transformative and that it's really only afforded to a certain demographic for the most part and um yeah i don't i don't want to jump too far ahead but that's sort of you know why Annie Evelyn and myself started crafting the future was because we wanted to see everybody get to experience this this thing that we were experiencing and um, mm-hmm. yeah bring a little bit more diversity to our field and it's hard like I remember even when I was thinking about applying to the core fellowship that I was like I don't think I can do it financially and my mentor, Sarah Lurcher, was like, you just figure it out. You're just going to apply and you're going to figure it out and you'll go and it works out. Um, and, you know, and I'm, I don't come from like a comfortable family, but I was by no means, you know, not comfortable and still privileged in a lot of ways. But I remember showing up at the house and being like, all right, I think I'm the only one here whose parents are not paying my phone bill while I'm here. Like it just caters <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. it definitely caters to a certain demographic that um, is support has outside means of support to be able to do that program because financially um, what they give you is so amazing in terms of like the cost of classes and a home, et cetera. But you still have a lot of expenses you have to cover um, and it can be really difficult. And I can't even imagine trying to pay for a workshop if you didn't have a work study or something like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And even, uh, you know, situations that are slightly more realistic or accessible with a full scholarship, like a work study situation or something like that, mm-hmm. then you still have to find somebody who can leave their life for two weeks, you know, without being yeah. paid. It's like you're automatically cutting out anybody who might actually contribute to a household income. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge privilege too. I remember, um, yeah, that was a big factor for me when I first went on a workshop 
just even your travel expenses getting there. So you listeners, sorry, let us rewind here. We're discussing of just, you know, the associated cost with attending a craft school, which when I speak with students, I do a presentation and I actually lay out all the costs to take a workshop. Um, and it's approximately like $1,500 plus room and board. Um, have you ever done that math, Corey? Like, have you seen that lately? Oh, we do that have. math all the time. I mean, because we're, that's oh, what we're right, doing duh. right now is raising money to cover these <laughs> things. And it's, yeah, no, it's totally fine. But um, it, it actually is even more than that if you consider, like, incorporating a stipend that would make it an yeah. accessible experience for somebody. So when we're crunching the numbers and looking at how much does it cost to somebody to yeah. come in for two months, or sorry, two weeks, it's actually, you know, closer to $2,000 because it's, it's, or more even if you're going to yeah. pay a stipend to that person that makes it so that they can pay for their materials and so that they can, um, you know, have a, a, a living wage while they're leaving their life behind, basically. So Corey, let's talk about, okay, crafting the future. That is the topic at hand. Um, let's give insight, listeners insight as to how this discussion came to be. Like, what is Crafting the Future? Sure. Um, so Crafting the Future, for those who are not familiar, is an organization that I co-founded with Annie Evelyn, who um, was a former Penland uh, resident. And that's we met when she was in her residency mm-hmm. uh, maybe four or five years ago. And the organization is working to diversify the fields of art, craft, and design by connecting BIPOC artists with opportunities that will help them thrive. <clears throat> and, you know, basically this, this, this group, it's a collective of artists and art appreciators that has grown out of a frustration with feeling helpless to affect change on an individual level. And so by yeah. banding together and, you know, pooling the resources of, you know, like-minded artists and appreciators, we can make the changes that we want to see in our own communities rather than, you know, just wagging the finger and canceling people, which is so popular these days, um, and expecting institutions to do the work for us where we're doing it ourselves or at least, um, you know, putting a dent in, in the issue. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically how, how it started is with, uh, I guess it came out of a series of heated discussions between Annie and myself over this topic of, you know, why is Penland so white? Why is the art world at large so white? And is there anything we can do about it? And we were actually at, at Mardi Gras in New Orleans um, for four years ago or something like that, five years ago. Oh, and... I saw pictures on that trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was a blast. <laughs> And it was one of these nights when we had been up all day partying and uh, having, you know, conversation after conversation where it just, it got really heated one night and Annie uh, got really, really jazzed up and was actually, I think, crying even at one point. And I started crying at one point and we're just like feeling so helpless. Like, what can we do? What can we do? And we decided that moment that we were, going to do something, not just talk about it. And I mean, it wasn't until years later that actually got put into motion, but um, it was mm-hmm. that, that one fateful night that we sort of drummed it up. And, and I think it was right after Annie's residency, she, she was living in new Orleans and 
uh, linked up with an uh, organization there called Yaya, which stands mm-hmm. for uh, Young Artists, Young Aspirations, I believe. And um, and thinking about, you know, what can we do? How, how can we, you know, build pathways into our field for young BIPOC artists, aspiring artists? She thought, this is great. I could just, we could build a bridge between this organization and in Penland, you know, for starters. And so that was sort of the first step was forming that relationship and deciding that we would partner with youth arts organizations, starting with Yaya, but eventually across the country and provide their students with scholarships to renowned craft schools and pre-college programs. Mm -hmm. And forgive me. I mean, I follow both of you and Annie. Also, you guys, Annie is a force to be reckoned with. She is like, she is the life of the party. Um, she really is. <laughs> yeah. I just like when I heard that this was a partnership between you two and I was like, awesome. Um, like, I remember following you on Instagram and seeing something about this last year, like posting about crafting the future, that there was going to be some kind of scholarship thing. Forgive me. I didn't follow up more, but I remember seeing it and being like, that's awesome. Like, great. And there was a Kickstarter um so that first year what was your intention when you first launched was it just like we're just gonna try to give raise enough money for a scholarship like where where did you envision yeah that's a a great question um and that is how it started it was with a kickstarter we put this kickstarter up and uh the goal was to raise enough money to send two students to to penland and Mm -hmm. We did that and rather rapidly because we had to. It was, you know, the idea came about in like February or something, and it was March when mm. Penman was like, All right, uh, these people need to be registered now. <laughs> like, oh shit. Yeah. So we really like kicked it into gear fast and made a big push and ended up raising the, I think it was $8,000 <clears> that we needed to cover all of the expenses not just tuition and room and board, but travel and again, a stipend for the students. And um, yeah, that's, that was the first effort. And it has since grown. Um, Penland was, you know, really overjoyed by our effort and saw the potential in this idea of forming these relationships with these youth arts organizations. And so they, Mm -hmm went ahead and offered to match our scholarships for the next year. So actually this year we, uh, the, the plan was, and we had all of the money in place to send four students from Yaya to Penland where we would pay for two and Penland would pay for two. And unfortunately, wow. of course, COVID summer happened. So that didn't happen. Yeah. And I can, I can tell you a little bit about what, what we're doing this summer instead, but mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> basically that that was huge that Penland was making that offer and that they were in support and um you know word is getting out now about that relationship and everybody else is getting on board so we now have partnerships with not just Penland but um Haystack in Maine and Pilchuck Glass School in Washington Corning Museum of Glass uh Pittsburgh Glass Center Aramont oh, in Tennessee uh, Peters Valley, and just got off the phone this morning with Jerry Jackson <laughs> over at John C. Campbell. Oh my, oh my God, Jerry Jackson. <laughs> yes, throwback, right? <laughs> oh, you guys, Jerry didn't. I was the problem child. I was in Jerry's office so many times. You guys, he was uh, programs, 
what was he he was like deputy he was the deputy director, director. oh yeah. so he, like i hit the uh, fire hydrant with the school van boom in jerry's office <laughs> i get in a fight with a older woman in my metalsmithing class as a court fellow because she was awful boom jerry jackson's office uh we fought a lot but then we made up in the end yeah same i had the same relationship with him i was always in and out of his office there was a couple times even when he well one time in particular where he had to pull me into his office and tell me that like if i didn't straighten up and fly right the i this <laughs> opportunity was going to be taken away from me basically uh, um, you mean yeah, you had we, a come we, to jesus moment with jerry jackson because that is what I he did. I, had a, I had a come to jesus moment with that man and we, gave, oh we came God. we came to Jesus, we got there, we made up, and we're now, you know, great friends, and we've just established this beautiful relationship where they're, they're not even matching scholarships, they are just going to fully fund them. <clears throat> oh, damn. Which okay. is amazing. I do want to rewind back here, though, because we need to acknowledge something that has happened that I think is pretty incredible um, and could be really overwhelming in some ways as well. Obviously, with the death of George Floyd has ignited this racial justice movement um, protest all over the country, all over the world, a lot of momentum happening, a lot of people pivoting and thinking about ways in which they should be, you know, putting in work, activism and donating. Um, And so not to say that this was overnight, but you've had a substantial jump in support in the last few months. Would oh, that yes. be a, Yeah. And oh, so yes. like, that is fully accurate. <laughs> oh God. How's that? Because I mean, I know you already had, you had already did this, but you know, I didn't, you guys weren't like full-time marketing it. It seemed, it reminded me kind of, of Ola, like with that Kathy Edelman does. Like I thought, mm-hmm. I actually thought you were partnered with Ola. So, whoops, sorry. Um, so in terms of that, like the trajectory seems like it must have just skyrocketed. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, it has. Well, I mean, I just want to say first, we will be partnering with Ola. I've been volunteering Aww. over there since I moved here and working in their college access program with some mentees. So we're definitely forming awesome. that relationship. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. Um, but yeah, there's no denying that, you know, the recent events, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor have definitely, um, you know, blown up the level of engagement that we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, before, before uh, February, <clears throat> I, I guess, or I should say back in February, we had, um, I think like 40 members and $2,000 in donations. And we are now over 1,200 members and over $120,000 raised. Oh, my God. In just like seven weeks. Holy <laughs> so it's, shit. it's completely crazy. And yeah. it is overwhelming. And I fucking hate that it took, you know, yeah. a senseless murder of black people by the police for society to wake up, open their eyes and suddenly become interested Mm -hmm. in social justice but um i i will take it you know and and we're running with it we're trying to harness this energy that is in the air right now and Mm -hmm. get people to commit to making a sustained effort to bringing equality to all different areas of their lives you know and And i 
I've been talking to a lot of people about that too, where I think sustainability in terms of, you know, keeping it going, right? Like it's not enough just to do one donation and be like, oh, okay, I did it. It's like, how are you going to continue and create long-term impact and change? Um, yeah, that's something that we've yeah. been thinking about a lot. And we've got ways that we're doing that internally, but we're also trying to come up with ways that we can have our, our members and our community stay engaged. And I'll just mm -hmm. tell you quickly about one of those things. Yeah. Um, um, I'm a member, you guys. It's easy. You can go, what's your website, Corey? It's craftingthefuture.org. That's it. Yep. You got it. Yeah. So I went on that. You guys, there's a sliding scale for, is it working artists and students? Is that how you word it? Yeah. Um, but really yeah. anybody. So artists yeah. and art appreciators alike, are, all are welcome to join. And like you said, uh, it's on a sliding scale starting at a, a recommended $25, but you can, it could be five, it could be 10, it could be a hundred, whatever it is that you can give, because we want it to be accessible mm -hmm. to everybody. And then that membership fee goes into a, a big pot of money that we use for all of these fabulous programs that we're working on. And um, a question that people ask sometimes is, you know, what, what do I get when I become a member? What? And um, I hate to be so frank, but you're not, you're not getting a tote bag. You're not getting a coffee mug. <laughs> what you're getting mm -hmm. when you become a, a CTF member is a chance to be a part of a movement and to, to stay informed and uh, in the loop as we grow, you know, yeah. when you fill out that, that membership form, we'll ask you what level of uh, involvement do you want to have? And you can enter whatever that might be. And so that'll put you into our database. And it could be a sort of thing where a year from now we need um, to connect with a, a metal Smith in Philadelphia and we'll see, Oh, Sarah mm -hmm. Rachel Brown said that she wants to, you know, be further involved. And so there's that as well as um, joining our mailing list. And so we'll keep everybody in the loop as things progress and, you know, give you mm -hmm. happy news and um, other ways that you can stay involved. And uh, in, in the next, Annie keeps telling me that I'm trying to um, launch this too soon, but I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> by the end of August, <laughs> we're going yeah. to have this, this crew system in place. And what that is, is that we are inviting members to start crews, which mm -hmm. uh, are committed to a sustained fundraising effort and community building on behalf of Crafting the Future. And so those crews can be centered around anything, really. It could be a geographical location. It could be an institution. It could be a medium. You know, it could be the, the metalsmiths of Philadelphia. It could be spoon carvers oh. of Wisconsin. It could be the John C. Campbell crew or whatever it might be. And so those people would assemble and organize at least one fundraising effort a year. And that I is to that. try and, you know, yeah, it's great. It, it, it mm -hmm. you know, helps to build that into people's practice, which is something yeah. that Annie and I are thinking about. Like this is, this is, this is and should be a part of our practice moving forward mm -hmm. forever, you know, making this sustained yeah. effort to affecting this cause. And um, this is just one way that people can do that. And we, we've seen such a large portion of our donations come from 
people selling their artwork on the internet, uh, as you've yeah. seen, you know, people on Instagram having raffles and auctions and all of these things. And uh, so we're inviting people to organize and do those sorts of things and group group efforts and, um, you know, ongoing forever, as long as we're fulfilling our mission, which is um, at least it's going to be as long as I'm alive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wait, Corey, I never told the listeners, how old are you? Am I older than you? I'm 30. How old are you? I'm 35. Oh, I know. okay, girl. You couldn't even tell, could you? You were going to guess 25. No, I'm, I'm looking sure. at you on Zoom. You don't, you don't look a day over mm-hmm. 22. But, Corey, how good are the grays coming in? Like, look so at this. So good. I was right? actually wondering. I was like, is that that chic, like, I, the millennial, I dyed my hair gray? Or is that Hell natural? no. That is all natural, <laughs> baby. Um, It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. It started coming in at Penland. And honestly, a big inspiration was Stacey Lane Klein because she has the most magical witchy hair ever. Um, Yes. And then I just decided to roll with it. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Right. Penland people, guys, Penland people. Um, That's, (laughs) you know what? I love the crew idea because, I mean, JV Collective, they're my crew. We could do it. We could sign on. And then we could do like an annual something to donate towards you. And there's always, I mean, I tell people this all the time. Like I'm such a huge advocate for community and strength in numbers. Like even JV Collective, the things I'm able to accomplish because of them is amazing. And so if you do join forces instead of these individual raffles, just think of what you can do. Um, Good on you, Corey. And that's the whole thing, too, with what we're talking about here is, it's like I was saying earlier, it's really scary and daunting to think about trying to make these sorts of changes on your own. It's like the sort of thing where you're like, fuck, I I can't do this. I'm just going to, I'm not, I won't even try. But then when you look at, you know, the amount of people that are um, in support and when you think about joining them and you know, making a move towards change together, it's suddenly a lot more achievable and less scary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that right now in a lot of different facets. I mean, even myself included, I've mentioned multiple times, like craft schools are white, but, you know, taking really tangible steps towards changing that, I can't say I've done a lot other than focus on conversations around diversity on the podcast. But, I think right now with so much that needs attention and support and work, if you're really overwhelmed, I've been telling people, it's like focus in on something that's related to something in your life that you're passionate about. And I think for artists and crafts persons, you know, crafting the future has been that answer. Like, okay, I don't know where to start. I'm going to and this is like an organization that is related to something that I love and value in my life and let me focus my energy towards that because, mm. y- you know, like otherwise you can get swallowed yeah. up with every option to focus on. Um, yeah, no. Totally. So I think it's, yeah, and I, agree. I think that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm so glad that we can provide people with that. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think that's why, It's funny, too, because, you know, everybody's social media is really catered to the type of people that they follow. And obviously living at craft schools for three years and being a working artist, like, damn, crafting the future is all up in my feed all day, every day. And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, 
every time I turn on my Instagram story, it's another raffle for crafting the future. I'm just like, all right, I love this. Okay. Um, I know it's so amazing. I get chills when I think about it. <laughs> I mean, it's really Andy and powerful. I were on the phone with each other in the beginning, and just like, oh, did you cry today? Yep, I cried today. Tears of joy. I mean, oh yeah, you had some happy <laughs> is, tears. I hope you're having some happy we've tears. Had so, oh, we've had so many happy tears. It's like oh, a silver lining to a big, dark, terrible cloud that is hanging over our nation right now. It's uh, yeah, it's a little light of joy that comes. You know, we get emails every day. Uh, every time somebody donates to Crafting the Future, I get a little email and I just open it up and I think, ah, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, like we can't change the whole system, but like feel, like focusing your energy in specific ways to create change, like collectively, if everybody does that in different capacities, we're going to see this change happen. Um, and Yeah, and it me, won't be the kind of thing that we see overnight. It'll take some yeah. time. But yes, if we keep working at it and if we keep funding these scholarships and internships and all these other opportunities, then over time we will we will see a change. Yeah, and I think sometimes people just don't even know where to start. Like there's a company I've been working with and I had a really honest and tr- like wonderful conversation with them and they were just like, oh, we're, you know, there's this aspect of their company that they they're doing something really great, but the majority of the participation is just like cis white women. And, you know, how do you create change to see that that over the time that change, right? Like you have to plant a seed and it's going to take years for you to see that change develop within that program. Um, mm-hmm. And right now I think that's really hard because in our society, ugh, Jesus, everybody wants immediate results or some kind of immediate satisfaction. And that's just not what this is. You have to like lean in and just diligently work towards something. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that's scary for me as somebody who I could admit, I'm definitely one of those people who loves immediate gratification. So I know glass blower, just kidding. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, I've got 30 minutes to spend on this piece. Yeah, right. I'm like, you take how long? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's really, it's really daunting to think about, you know, the fact that this work really will never be done. I mean, yeah. if if you're asking, like, when is our work complete? I guess the what we think about is that we want the demographics of our field to match those of our nation. And that's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot <sighs> of work. And it might time. not happen in our lifetimes. But I think one thing that keeps me going is that if we can just at least instill a sense of concern and, you know, a a sustained effort in people towards Mm -hmm. making this change, then, then we will, we'll, you know, have done our part. That'll, that'll, that's enough to keep me going. So I have so many nosy questions I want to ask you. Are you ready for this? Yeah, bring it on. Okay, all right. Um, what's your full time job right now? Like, do you have a full time job? Um, I work so full time. I don't know what that means anymore. I work three <laughs> days a week as as a glass blower. I am okay. assisting uh, a gentleman named Joe Cariotti, and we make decorative objects for interior designers and um, department stores, things like that. And mm-hmm. I do that three days a week. Uh, the other four days of the week, I sort of split between my personal painting practice and crafting the future. 
and i mean that's mm -hmm. just sort of like a loose framework i mean really i'm doing crafting the future stuff every night <laughs> and yeah uh every morning before i go to work um but yeah the the thing that's paying the bills right now is that glass blowing job <laughs> so i feel like we can relate in some senses i mean I have had a lot of guilt around the last couple of months that I haven't really done the podcast because I've needed to pivot my energy elsewhere and actually kind of take care of myself and just kind of like try to exist in a pandemic and a racial justice movement. But people, mm. um, the way that they perceive me is that I'm a full-time podcaster a lot, I feel like, or that I have like four days that I dedicate this to, to this a week, which is mm. not... A real thing. So for you, as somebody who had this kind of ongoing side project that essentially overnight has kind of become a much bigger part of your life, I'm sure, and time, um, focus of your time. Mm -hmm. How has that been? Like, are you paid for your time with crafting the future right now? Or is this like a 110% passion project still? Uh, you know, it's been difficult trying to balance it yeah. all. And on top of that, I mean, I have my own, like I said, that painting practice, which is very near and dear to me and not something that Ugh. I'm going to give up on. And yeah, I actually there, just you got shouldn't. a new, new painting studio um, downtown Los Angeles just this month. And so it's like I'm balancing mm -hmm. all of these different things. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's a challenge. And I was... Annie and I both and so many other people were um, up until very recently donating our time to crafting the future. Um, but we are, you know, now we, we just received uh, a, a grant from the John and Robin Horn Foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, along with, you know, all of the donations we're getting, we are able to start paying ourselves. It's, it's not a lot, but um, we're, yeah. you know, paying ourselves part time for, for the work that we're doing for CTF. So that helps for sure. Do you envision this? Um, well, first of all, that's amazing. Also shout out to Ro John and Robin because um, they endowed like three years of my life pretty much. <laughs> yeah, know? they're amazing. Yeah, they're huge shout supporters. Out, shout yeah. out, <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Um, and yeah, so I was thinking about that with you because because of just kind of this overnight momentum um, I could only imagine how you've just been all of a sudden like, oh shit, like my inbox is, wakes up every day and it's full and X amount of interviews needed. And then on top of that, trying to like figure out the logistics behind it, because that's a lot of money to handle too. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. Um, and we've been so lucky to have such great support in our, in our partners. Um, yeah. So Yaya in New Orleans, they have served as our fiscal sponsor this whole time. And so they're accepting all of our donations and they're helping us with a lot of sort of back end behind the scenes stuff. And mm -hmm. so we're so grateful to them for that. And moving forward, um, this is really exciting. We're going to be um, switching over and going under the umbrella of Penland and operating with them as our sponsor and um so, I don't so can we into... give listeners an insight to that sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but i remember when i was doing pentaculum we had talked about or what was it something else like becoming a nonprofit or a separate entity but then that's really 
a huge undertaking. So when you say fiscal sponsor, does that mean it's a nonprofit that's willing to take you underneath their wing? And so you're like under their nonprofit status? That's right. Yeah. And so um, it it cuts out a lot of that stuff that you have to do to become a 501c3, but Mm -hmm. also keeps you safe and keeps your your donations um, so that you don't have to pay taxes on those. And so that's, that's huge. Um, But also Penland is going to, to coach us up on how to become our own nonprofit. And so they have agreed to not only act as our fiscal sponsor, but to um, donate their time and resources to us uh, at least five hours uh, a month, I believe is what they said of Mm -hmm. their, um, their different resources, like their, financial team, their grant writer, their, um, they're going to teach us how to use their software, all of these things. Wow. Um, yeah, it's really huge. It's really huge. Damn, Penland. If they, I know, maybe I'm not supposed to talk about this on podcasts, but I I think (laughs) that they would, they would be fine with letting the world know their level of involvement. I mean, it's really amazing. It's like Penland has always been a supportive and nurturing place for me. And I'm sure you can relate, but I'm still just like shocked and um, just like overwhelmed by the level of support that they're offering to us while in this period of growth. It's, it's amazing. Well, I'm obsessed. And I mean, Corey, I know that you relate to this too, like mentors. I always, I am a huge men- advocate for mentorship. And this is, all this is nonprofit mentorship <laughs> on a whole Absolutely. other level. Like I'm loving this so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, beautiful. <laughs> Good. Good for you. So then, okay, let's talk about this too, because sometimes Corey, like with the podcast, I talk a lot about this where I didn't expect this to become such a big part of my studio practice and my identity as an artist. And there was actually a moment, even though it's all good things, um, I really struggled with that. And so how do you feel moving into the future? Like, do you see yourself becoming full-time crafting the future and then being able to leave like at least a few days a week towards your painting practice? Would that be your ideal? Girl, I have no idea. I think about it all the time. Like what, yeah, what is realistic? Uh, I mean, when we first started um, seeing this real growth, Annie and I were discussing like what our roles are and she kept calling me the executive director and that was so scary (laughs) scary to me because I I'm thinking like as this thing grows like am I gonna have to give up my personal practice to dedicate Mm -hmm. you know all of my time to this other thing and so far I mean I don't know if this is um sustainable but i am able to do it all right now it's i Mm -hmm. mean i i don't have any free time (laughs) not even a moment yeah i'm either blowing glass doing crafting the future or painting or eating or sleeping i mean those that's all all i all i do anymore but for now um it feels good and i think i can do it all and i want it all and so i'm gonna you know i mean if something has to give maybe it's gonna be the, the glass blowing gig and maybe yeah. I can eventually be, you know, CTF director and part-time painter or whatever. But um, yeah, Annie and I discussed yeah. that early on that it's important to both of us that we still have an artistic practice and all of this. And it could be a sort of thing that 
we build this thing up and set it up and then it's someday we step back a little bit and maybe yeah are just you know board members rather than directors but um for well, it's now, a very real thing do it all yeah <laughs> i just always yeah and i i feel you on that and it's one of those things oh Corey, good on you i i know that energy that you're expending right now it's kind of I, I, I took a step back from the podcast because I just kind of got burnt out. Like I, like, I want to be able to like find time to like date, <laughs> maybe fall in love right. and maybe like, you know, sleep in on a Saturday rather than like get my ass out of bed and drive two hours to do an interview. And I think, um, that passion can kind of waver sometime. Mine's been wavering and I've been taking a step back, but like, just, you know, keep checking in with yourself. Take care of yourself. Um, your painting practice is so good. Ooh, I also saw that you have an exhibition opening up at Quirk. Yeah, that's right. It opens um, at the end of this week, actually. Or Damn. Week, Congratulations on that, Corey. That's amazing. Thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. It's been good. You know, I mean, COVID tried to uh, shut everything down and it did for a minute, but the art world yeah. is sort of reopening and I've got a few shows coming up. It's very exciting. So um, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. People are adapting. But no, I think it's mm -hmm. great. Uh, so what is your title? Are you executive director? <laughs> I am the executive director. I think we decided <laughs> yeah, that you like are. Two, two days ago or something. Oh, my gosh. And then what's Annie's title? You know, we're still working on that one. Um, mm -hmm. Honestly, she, she we're really co-directors is what it is. But um, moving forward, she may be creative director or director of development. Those are sort of two hats that she wears um, mm -hmm. in this whole thing. She's really Could she be the Jerry at, Jackson, like a like deputy director? Like, what does deputy director even mean? Yeah, honestly, those titles are all sort of <laughs> wishy-washy. Like, yeah, I have <laughs> I've, no I've been idea. doing a lot of research about nonprofits, and um, it's flexible and fluid. It's sort of whatever we we think we need. But that's the other thing is that we're not actually five hundred one c three yet, mm -hmm. and so those titles are not not super important at this point <laughs> yeah totally so a yeah. few questions um first of all i saw a screenshot of a lot of people that i adore i think i said saw meg martin's face um meg, so there's like a group of artists behind crafting the future as well right yeah absolutely um and okay. we're, we're referring to that group now affectionately as the mothership and <laughs> the mothership that that screenshot that you saw is from uh one of our meetings we've been having meetings every couple of weeks with the mothership and they're serving yeah. as sort of our advisory committee right now mm -hmm. um but that's that's who came up with this whole thing i mean yes annie and i might have uh, dreamt the thing up in the beginning, but it was that group of artists and, um, you know, Penland people that uh, made it happen early on yeah. that, you know, uh, supported the Kickstarter and made the, the gifts to send out to people who donated to the Kickstarter and mm -hmm. brainstormed other ways that this thing could, could look. And so, yeah, uh, that's, that's how it started. And that's how we want it to remain is that it is a, a group of artists who are, you know, coming together to, to make a change. 
Promise me no how no matter how big you get that you don't start calling them the board that they remain the mothership, please. The mothership. <laughs> <laughs> who, who makes the rules? Why does it have to be called a board? It could be called the mother mothership for sure. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. So wait a minute. I got an email from you saying that you were partnering with somebody else, though. Like there was a group and Forgive me. I follow you on Instagram. Of course, I lurk you on Instagram. I love you. Um, of course, back at you. <laughs> and you were with Sarah Beth. Oh, oh my God, SB. Um, she's amazing. She was in a class that I was a visiting artist at at Penland, and it caught mm-hmm. my eye that she was there. So it was all glass blowers. And oh, mm-hmm. what is his name? He's been on the board forever. I adored him when I lived at Penland. Lived in Louisville. Shay Rose. Shay. Oh, Shay. Shay's so great. Yeah, he's um, amazing. So he is really amazing. I remember he was he was my favorite board member. Um, ooh, I said it. Oh, Kathy Adelman. Mm-hmm. Okay, tie. All right. Um <laughs> But he was just so great. Like he was so easy to talk to. Like it's intimidating when the board visits the campus as a core fellow. And I felt like he was very easy to approach. Um, And he's great. He's a real one. Yeah. And so I just remember all of you had like some event in LA. You were all glass blowing. You all had a Mm -hmm. shirt that said better together. What is that? I'm so glad you asked. So that was an event that um, I planned with my studio mate, Cedric Mitchell. And the idea was that we were going to host an event at our studio in Los Angeles for Black History Month to support local black entrepreneurs and makers and provide them with a space uh, to to pop up and sell their wares and to, Mm -hmm. you know, gain a little bit of exposure. And so that's what we did. We put this event together. We had 12 different vendors come and pop up and sell their stuff. And we invited seven different black glassblowers from around the country, which is um, a a large figure (laughs) in case for anybody who doesn't know the, if you think the the craft world is white, the glass world is even whiter. And so that was a record, record breaking number to have seven of us in one room at one time. And those glass blowers, um, like I said, came from around the country and were leading uh, demonstrations and workshops um, while the pop-up was going on, there was also DJ spinning records and live performers and food trucks. And it was just a big celebration. And um, yeah, that's where you saw Sarah Beth and Shay and several mm-hmm. others. And that event was really well received. And so we're actually in the process of planning others around the country. And it, it has even developed further into beyond just being this event of more of a, an organization with a focus in, um, you know, celebrating and supporting makers of color year round. So not just during yeah. black history month. And it's part of that sort of like that sustainability talk that we're talking about earlier, not just like, how can we sustain our efforts, but how can we provide sustained support for makers? You know, it's, it's great to mm-hmm. give somebody a two week scholarship to go to Penland, but then what? You know, that's yeah. that's just opening the door. How do we make sure that they are able to firmly plant roots and, you know, develop a, a network in, in this field? And so um, Better Together, Cedric and I sort of beefed it up into this organization and merged, actually, with Crafting the Future. So Crafting the Future's uh, mission is expanding now. 
we're not only okay. creating pathways into the field, but again, offering continued support once these artists have arrived. And this means connecting people with professional opportunities like internships and commissions, teaching opportunities, things that will help establish their networks and plant their roots in the community. And for those who have already planted their roots, like Shea Rhodes and Sarah Beth and these other people, we, we celebrate mm-hmm. and support them year round. And I'm sort of, you know, beginning to view this as, again, a major part of the practice and something that's not separate, but rather reciprocal to, to this, all of the stuff, you know? <clears throat> so then Cedric is coming on and what role will he do with crafting the future with you? Um, so Cedric, uh, co-founder of better together is now he's, he's coming on and, uh, w- what is his role going to be? He's going to be, uh, basically, you know, it's very new. All of this, I, love so this I don't, I don't have a title. <laughs> I don't have a title for him yet. We don't Sorry. have a title for him. I should say, yeah. but like, basically I'm in the middle of all of this and, yeah. you know, off to one side, you've got Annie who mm-hmm. you know was crafting the future and off to the other side, you've got Cedric who's better together. So basically he's a, a director in his own right of that side of things, helping to, um, establish relationships with different institutions and finding artists and connecting them with these opportunities, basically. Okay. I love it. And, also, and Cedric's I love also that it's like kind of, to, Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say Cedric's also helping to plan these events that are coming up too. So we're doing mm-hmm. a better together event in new Orleans at Yaya. Um, that's hopefully going to happen next April, depending on, you know, how the world is by then uh we're doing a better together in atlanta san francisco um possibly one in new york or sorry definitely one in corning new york possibly one in north carolina as well all right well philly's here we got philly just kidding that's true (laughs) i I got a friend with a a glass blowing studio there too so (laughs) oh who's your friend in philly Nikolai Christensen, East Falls Glass. Oh, you know what? I rented their cold shop when I first moved here. Yeah, I came in and I used their big ass wheel to uh, grind down tiny little rhinestones. It was kind of hilarious. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, Nick, who works over there, is uh, a good homie of mine. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a cool spot. Mm-hmm. I lived right by there. I was up, I lived out in Germantown, which is a close, like adjacent neighborhood to East Falls. So, nice. So, I know who they are. This is exciting. Corey, this is so yeah, cool. It's, it's a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And You're doing I'm sorry a lot if of things. Any of that was verbal vomit, but it's just, there's a, oh, like, there's a lot going on. <laughs> it is a lot. I mean, I, you know, I, I was even apprehensive. I reached out, you, to you, you know, a handful of weeks ago or something. And I was like, I want to partner with you, but I don't want you to like, feel like you have to, or I feel like, you know, like I approached you in this very, like, you don't have to do this way, but like, if you want to, I would love to. Um, and I'm so happy that we made this interview happen because absolutely me too. Cause I, I love the craft school experience. Yeah, me too. And I know that we, we connect on that and that, um, you have this wonderful platform too, which I, I love it. I love the work that you're doing and Aww. appreciate that you wanted to share that with us. Well, yeah. So guys, um, perceived value is 
partner. I mean, I just was like, I'm for me, the way that I'm moving forward right now at this moment um, is trying to partner with organizations that I feel are doing important work and relate to my passions and things I care about and want to put my efforts towards. So of course, crafting the future, obvious choice. Um, and I look forward to, you know, future episodes, you know, maybe I have Cedric on the podcast, maybe I have Annie or, um, somebody from Yaya, but continuing this relationship and featuring artists related to the work that you guys are doing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to that. Ooh, maybe perceived value listeners could be a crew. Maybe we could do a little thingy thing. Oh yes. The uh, mm-hmm. do your do your listeners have a, do you have a name for your listeners? Some of the podcasts I listen to have like little names for their their followers. I know. <laughs> I don't. I've never. I've like I've thought about that. I remember when I first started too. Um, someone was like, "What's going to be your like sign off tag?" And I was like, "Oh my god, the pressure!" I'm just impressed that I know how to work a microphone. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what what would my listeners be called. I don't know. One of my favorite podcasts, which is such a silly podcast, but it's called um, Seek Treatment, and they call their uh, um, their listeners Truth Sleuths, which I don't even Truth know what that sleuth. means, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's hilarious. So I'm like, okay, we need to, we need to come up with a clever name for your listeners. I know, crafty bastards okay, or something. <laughs> crafty bastard well yeah also you know everybody thinks that this is a podcast for jewelers um hello people it is not i've had djs on here i've had authors you know i'm trying to diversify it um hello (laughs) um i have a glass artist painter on here right now um yeah so i'm gonna think about this but if anybody comes up with a good one you know slide in my dms let me know and Corey, you keep thinking about it if it comes to you not that you have enough to think about or anything (laughs) (laughs) um okay so let's break this down once again for listeners um you want to help you want to contribute we have a lot of international listeners and i know a lot of international listeners are aware of penland and aramont these places that i talk about a lot too um so anybody can become a member both based in america and international um it's craftingthefuture.org correct Corey? Correct. That's correct. And you can follow mm-hmm. us on social media on Instagram at crafting underscore the underscore future. And mm-hmm. you can follow better together at better together underscore CTF. Nice. And then of course, you guys, I'm going to put all this information in the description of the podcast. I'm going to blow them up on my social media. It's going to be on the webpage. So it's really going to be very easy for you to, you know, just click and go through. Also, I have a Patreon platform. And if my patrons are listening, you donate every time that I release a podcast and a percentage of that is going to be going to each from my every episode I release, a percentage of that is going to be going to crafting the future as their partner. Um, Which we are so, so appreciative of. Thank you for doing that, Sarah. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I'm not exactly living off the podcast, but I'm willing to give you something. It's going to be great. Every little bit counts. Sometimes when I give my ACLU $5 monthly donation, I feel a little shame that it's only $5, but like, it's something. Um, It's something. It adds up. It really adds up, right? 1,200 members. Good 
God, that's amazing. Guys, let's get them up to yeah. 1,500 soon. Come on. Let's make that's it happen. Right. That's a good number. I like 1,500. That right. That's Yes, mm-hmm. good energy. Put that out there. <laughs> yeah, we're putting it out there. It's happening. Um. Well, Corey, I really hope I get to see your face again in person before long because you're a really amazing oh, human. Same. It's same, so cool same, to see same. you doing this. I want this. to come to Philly soon and hang out with you and Rachel. It'll be so fun. I know. Guys, so we share a very special friend together. Corey, apparently, Corey and Rachel are travel buddies. You guys have gone on some pretty epic trips. Um, mm-hmm. And Rachel and I, I took the weekend off, so we're going to go on an adventure, as we like to call it. Um, we're going to leave tomorrow, and I can't wait. But she's just like the best. Also met her through the craft school experience, of course. Um, but yeah. All right, Corey. Well, Corey, also, we're doing a new recording thing. I don't think I talked to you about this, but do not close out of Zencaster when I do my little sign off thing because <laughs> we'll okay. lose the recording, you guys. Um, but, anyways, you guys, this has been another episode of Perceived Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. Until next time. Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron. Visit patreon.com slash perceived value to learn more or check out our website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening.